preach to you this morning on a simple thought. The oil still flows. The oil still flows. Elisha saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said to her, Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons. Then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the doors behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. Let us pray. Father, I sure am grateful for the remedy this morning. I'm grateful, God, that there is an answer for the sin-sick soul. Father, I pray this morning that You would have Your way with us. Lord, we need You. We thank You for Your presence. We thank You for the worship, God, that we have experienced, Lord. God, we pray now for the Word of God as it is preached, that it would go forth with clarity. Lord, that You would help me to rightly divide it. God, that we would receive from Your text this morning exactly what it is You want Your people to hear. Lord, we pray that sinners would be saved. God, we pray that saints would be encouraged. Lord, we pray, Father, this very morning that You would do something spiritual in Your people. Lord, we invite You to have Your way with us. We promise to give You only the honor and praise and glory because, Father, we know that all good things come from You and You alone. Lord, this morning we need You. We pray for Your will. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. One of the things that we see right off in the text, the Bible says that this widow, she was a widow, obviously, because her husband had died. And we do not understand the circumstances of his death. We do not understand why he owed anybody any money. But we do know that there was creditors whom he owed money too. And the creditors, because the man was dead, they now come and they want to take her sons as slaves. Now, in this day and time, that did not mean that they would have been slaves forever, but that they would have been slaves for a period of time until the debt was paid. Because we do not know how much the debt was, it is impossible for us to truly know. There's nothing but speculation. But the widow was concerned. She did not want her sons, obviously, to be uh, sold into slavery at the, requ- at the debt of her uh, husband who had died and gone on before. Now, one of the things that we see right off the bat this morning is that the widow and her sons had to pay a debt that wasn't really their fault. They had a debt that they were responsible for that really they had not incurred intentionally. It was not their doing. It was simply the fact they belonged to the family of the man who owed the debt. And we see this morning that the same is true for every man, woman, boy, and child born on the face of the earth that we are born with a debt that we cannot pay. 
It is a debt of sin because we are descendants of Adam. There is a debt. The Bible says the wages of sin. That's what it costs. That's what, what, it, what the uh, penalty is, if you will. The wages of sin is death. Every single one of us had a debt we could not pay. This morning, if you are here and you have not truly been born again, if, you're, if you have truly not been saved through the power of Jesus Christ, you have a debt that you cannot pay. It is a debt that is due because of sin. And the truth is we sin because we are born with a sin nature. But the reality is we are born that way. It is not something we choose to do. It is not an inheritance we choose to grab hold of. No child is born with and consciously thinks to him or herself, you know what, I'm going to be a sinner. It is in us instinctive. instinctively. We are selfish. We are, uh, we are lying. We are willing to cheat. We are willing to steal. We are willing to do whatever it takes to get our way because we have sin imputed to us by Adam. And the fact is that though the debt was inherited, they were held liable under the law. You see, the reality is every one of us will stand liable in front of God. And on that day, if you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ and turned from your sins and, and, and followed after Him, if you have not done that, the excuse that you were born that way will not wash with God. You are liable for the debt. And so these widow, this widow and her sons were in really quite some predicament. They needed help. They needed money they did not have. The creditor was knocking at the door and he was correct in his accusation. And unfortunately for them, the day of reckoning had come. The day of reckoning will come for each and every one of us. You know, as a Christian, I think it's important we understand as Christians, there is a day of reckoning for us as well where we will give an account for what we have done with the time that God has given us. Where we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we will have to give an account for what we have done with what God has given us. The Bible talks about some who pass through, but barely as those who have made it through the fire. Their works were burned up. And this morning, I think we need to know there is a reckoning day for each and every one of us before God. But for the lost man, for the lost woman, for he who has not been born again, for he whose sins have not been forgiven, there is a reckoning day. The Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. It doesn't matter if they're atheists or if they're, they're of any other religion of the world. It doesn't matter if it's a man or a woman who's been in church their whole life but never truly repented of their sins and followed after God. There is a reckoning day for each and every one of us. And on that day... The most important thing is that you can say with certainty that your faith has been placed in Christ, that the blood of Jesus has washed away your sins, and that you can stand before God with a clean conscience because of the work of Jesus on the cross. We will have a reckoning day. Satan is the accuser of the brethren, and in some ways the, the creditor in our text is sort of like Satan. He shows up and says it's payday. And she and her sons, they could not help themselves. This morning, I believe there are probably some here who feel like you've done so much that it just can't be paid for. You feel like maybe you've messed it up so bad that it just can't be paid for. 
you feel like maybe... You know, I see Christians who... Uh, they seem to think that, you know, God can save me. And God can... And I know that God's love is big enough to, for, to forgive me. And, 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 but still, God could never use me. Because I've messed it up so bad. Still, there's a payment that must be... Uh, paid for what I've done, and that payment is so big that the rest of my life I'm just going to have to be useless. I'm just going to have to suffer through because I've messed it up so bad. I want you to know this morning, I'm getting ahead of myself before we get to the the jars full of oil, but you need to know that is a lie from the pits of hell. God is able to do above and abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine. And there is a remedy as it was sung. There is a remedy for every sin-sick soul. There is a remedy for everything that we've ever done wrong. And God's answer to all of us this morning when we begin to feel hopeless, when we begin to feel helpless, when we begin to feel like we've messed it up so much, God says, look to My Son. His victory is victorious. It is a, He is a conqueror. And no matter what you've done through Him, you too can be more than a conqueror in Christ. The reality is, though, they needed divine intervention. In our text, that's what they needed. They needed divine intervention. I mean, they needed something that no one else could do. They had no family or friends that could help them. They had no power within themselves to help them out of their situation. They, they, they were totally helpless. They were discouraged. And that is the reason this woman goes to the man of God. She knew that Elisha was a miracle worker. And she comes to him. She doesn't even know what he's going to do. She doesn't even have any idea of how it would work out. She just knows she has a problem that cannot be met in her own physical strength. It cannot be met through her own natural resources. And she needs a divine intervention. This morning, there are definitely people here. You need a divine intervention. You need the God of heaven and earth to flex His muscles and do what only He can. You need the God of heaven and earth to, divine, to become divinely involved in your situation and to work in certain realms that you cannot do in and of yourself. And what we see in the text this morning is that God intervened. I want to say that God always intervenes. God is always willing to intervene in your situation. God is always willing to insert Himself into your need if we are willing to come as the widow did and say, I don't know what the answer is out of this thing. I've got a situation on my hands that is out of my control, but I know a God who is in control of all things. And Lord, if You'll just speak to me, I'll obey. If You'll just tell me what to do, I will do it. If You'll just speak to me, Lord, I will listen. Whatever it is, Lord, that You have to say, speak And I'm telling you, God will always intervene in the lives of those who are willing to let Him. So the prophet says, well, what do you have? What is it that you have in the house? He says, nothing but a jar of oil. I could preach all morning long on this one point alone. Nothing but a jar of oil. We see that the woman uh, earlier in the life of Elijah, that she had nothing but enough cake to make just one, one, enough flour to make just one cake and then eat it and then starve to death with her son. We see that Jesus uh, was with his disciples and there was a multitude, nearly 12,000. The Bible says 5,000 men plus women and children. So it was just 5,000 men, probably about 12,000. 
And they were all hungry and they needed something to eat. And Jesus said, what, what, what are we going to do to feed these people? And Andrew brought this boy that just had a couple fish and a few loaves. And what looked like wouldn't be enough is always enough when it's put in the hands of God. She said, I don't have anything but a jar of oil. Now, the reason she responded that she didn't have anything but a jar of oil is because the question was a question of worth. It was a question of value. The, the problem was she needed funds to pay a debt. And so Elijah says, well, what do you got so far? What, what do you have to pay this debt? She says, I don't have anything but a jar of oil. It's not much. It's the only thing I have of any value. We see this woman didn't have enough to give. But God will take what we're willing to give Him. God will take what we're willing to put in His hands. The woman felt like she didn't have anything of worth to offer God. I mean, how could God use what she had? But at least she was willing to acknowledge, this is what I've got to work with. This morning, you might not feel like you have anything to offer God. You might feel like your talents are not great enough. You might feel like you have nothing of value to add to the kingdom of Christ. Listen to the preacher this morning. Listen to the man of God when I tell you, little is much when it's in the hands of God. The reason that God doesn't use people is not because they're unusable. It's because we think we're unusable. We think we don't have enough to offer to God. The reality is, brothers and sisters, when we think we've got a lot to offer God, we've probably got some pride in the way that keeps us from being usable in the first place. But when we get to the reality that we say the need is great, the need is huge, it is unbelievable what needs to happen and all that I've got to offer is just a little bit of oil. It's not enough. It's not, a, it's not the answer. But if we're willing to say, God, what I do have, I'll put it in your hands. You're going to have to do something miraculous with it. It's not a lot to offer, but it's all that I've got. And I'm willing to take all that I have and put it in your hands if you can do something with it. I'm telling you this morning, that is where God uses people. That is what God is looking for. Don't look at yourself and say, I don't have much to give God. Look at God and say, He's able to take anything and do what He wants with it. He's the God who can take little and make it much. He's the God who can take weakness and make it strength. He's the God who can take a mess and turn it into a ministry. And I'm not going to look at my inabilities, but I'm going to look heavenward and I'm going to look at my God's abilities and I'm going to trust that when I put what I have in His hands, He'll do something great. God doesn't ask for much. He just asks for all that we have. Now, all that we have might not be much. But it is what God asks for this morning. God will take what we give Him. An important principle about learning to walk in the blessings of God and be used of God is learning to be willing to give God what you have and learning to be thankful for what little you have. Until you're thankful for what little you have, trust me, God will not give you much more. When you look at the uh, feeding of the nearly 12,000 people, they brought the fish and the loaves and they put them in the hands of Jesus. Now, I'm just going to ask you a simple mathematical question that Philip answered for us all. Was it enough? Of course it wasn't. It wasn't enough at all. So Jesus has in His hands what is not nearly enough yet to feed 12,000 people. And the Bible tells us the first thing that Jesus did... The Bible says He gave thanks. 
Have you ever been able and have you ever tried giving God thanks for what you did have, even if it wasn't enough? Have you ever learned what it is to have a grateful and thankful heart for the little that you have and, and it doesn't look like enough to you, but somehow you know that God can take it? You might feel like your marriage this morning is just on the brink of all out being shut down, the point of no return, and the reality is the hope is very little, but there's still a little bit. Can you honestly say this morning, God, thank you for what I do have? God, thank you for what is good. God, thank you for what I have to offer. It's not a lot. And when I look at the entire situation, it seems bleak. This morning, God says, be thankful for what you do have. You might look at your life and, you, and deep inside there's a yearning to be used of God and there's a yearning for God to work in you and through you. And you look at yourself and you say, man, I just don't have anything to offer. I'm shy. I'm not this. I'm not that. God, I'm not like all the people that I see God use in a great way. This morning, can you quit talking that way and say, God, I don't have a lot to offer, but I am thankful for what I do have. Then I'm going to take what I do have and I'm going to place it in your hands. Until you are grateful for what is not enough, God will probably never give you what is enough. Until you're faithful with what is not enough, God will never place in your hands what is enough. You've got to be willing to be grateful. You've got to be willing to be faithful. You've got to be willing to be a man or a woman of integrity with what little you have. Can I say frankly, I have seen over the years multitudes of Christians who are discouraged, they are weary, they are upset because they look at their circumstances and it seems like God is just not blessing the way they need blessed. It seems like God is not giving what they need. It seems like the situation is hopeless and they remain discouraged, they remain in a bad attitude, and they never get to the place where they can honestly be thankful for what they do have. Here's the principle this morning. God knows your heart. And God wants us to truly be thankful for what we do have. It doesn't work to pretend. It doesn't work to say and act as if I'm grateful for what little I have. If deep inside I'm actually resentful, I'm tired of it, I just want to give up. I've got to get to the place where I realize, God, you couldn't do anything. And like the widow of our story, God, I don't fully understand. I don't know how it's going to happen. All I've got is a little bit of oil. Now, Elijah said, go and get some empty vessels. In our text, the empty vessels really represent us. You see, they're of no value or use until they're filled. I mean, that's really the whole purpose of a vessel is to hold something. That's why it's created. That's why it exists. That's why the potter put it on the wheel and formed it into a vessel. There was a purpose for it, and eventually the purpose is to hold something. But it's of no value in and of itself until it is filled with what it was meant to hold. The same is true of us. The Bible even talks of us as being earthen vessels. God wants to fill us with Himself. Mankind has become the dwelling place of God. And in all reality, concerning eternity, concerning what matters, we are truly useless. We are truly worthless until God Himself has had His way with us and has filled us with Himself. We're of no value until God fills us. 
Notice the need for them to hold the oil, yet the oil is really the only thing of value. It's a beautiful picture of something that's incredibly difficult to explain. The value is the oil, and in essence, the oil is a representation of the Holy Spirit, yet it, the oil needs a place to be held. The same is true of the Holy Spirit and us. God desires to live in us. God desires to live in you. God desires to fill you, to dwell in you, to, to work in you, to live in you, and to work out of you, and to work through you. Yet, He's the one that's really of value. He's the one that's really significant. He's the one that does the work. Any good thing that's done through these hands, through these feet, through these eyes, and through this mouth, any good thing that we do, it's only Him. But just like the vessels, God chooses to live in man. I believe God needs vessels this morning who are willing to empty themselves out and let God fill them up. It didn't matter where the vessels came from. Didn't matter their size, didn't matter their shape, didn't matter their color, but as many as could be found, as many as could be filled, the prophet said, bring them all. That's just like God. I'm telling you this morning, God is able to work in anybody. It doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter where you've come from, doesn't matter any of these things. Not your color, not your age, not your size, not your shape, none of that. God is able to work in each and every one of us who are willing to simply say, I will pour myself out, God, so that I can be filled with you. Didn't matter what type of vessels they were. They just had to be empty. I believe that's one of the big problems with us today. You see, a vessel has to be empty before it can be filled. It did no good for the widow to bring in full vessels. They needed to be empty. Christ is for empty sinners and for empty sinners only. And as long as there is a truly empty soul in a congregation, and the Word of God goes forth, Christ is willing to fill that soul with His love, with His grace, with His very presence. It's when we're full that we stop up the flow of God. It's when we're full of ourselves that we hinder the outgoing of free grace. It's when we think we don't need any more God. It's when we think that, really, I just want God in this one area of my life. This morning, God wants to fill every area of your life. God wants to be Lord of all of your life. I'm a believer that unless He is Lord of all, He is not Lord at all. God is not a God who's willing to take half. He is a God who wants all of your life. And until we truly empty ourselves out and say, God, no matter what it looks like, no matter what it means, no matter what I have to get rid of, no matter what I have to repent of, no matter what I have to stop of. Lord, I just want You and I want You to fill my life. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, until we get to that emptying of ourselves, we will never truly experience the fullness of life that comes in Christ. 
the victorious life of what it means to be more than a conqueror in all things. And I'm here to tell you this morning, that's God's will for every one of you. There is not one person under the sound of my voice that God does not want to fill with His love, with His mercy, with His grace. There's not one person under the sound of my voice that God does not just want to flood your soul with and make the joy of God flow up out of you in ways you could never imagine. The problem is not that God is not willing. The problem is that we are not willing. The problem is that we are too full of ourselves and what we think we should have going on in our life. What we think God needs to do. Next we see the faith of the woman. Can I confess I don't understand all of the great mysteries of God. I just know that they are. I cannot always explain why. I just know that it is. Notice that Elijah made her do it. I mean, why not just do it himself? Why didn't Elijah just say, well, bring me the oil and I will pour it out and I will... Uh, However much you need, you tell me, and once it's you got enough, then we'll all stop. Elijah said, You do it. Elijah said, You go into the privacy of your own home with your sons and you shut the door behind you. And once you have all the vessels in there, then you take that oil and you begin to pull why why? Here's what we see. That while God is the miracle working God who is capable of doing all things, He chooses and desires and commands that we participate in faith. That we are willing to be obedient to what He tells us to do. Could God have just, boom, made oil and made it exist and, 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 and created vessels? And Could God have told the prophet to tell her, just walk back into your house and you're going to find when you go back in, there's tons of oil and everything you need is there. Sure, He could have. But God chooses to have us operate in faith. And until we are willing to operate in faith and in essence join God in this journey of faith and say, Lord, I will do what You tell me to do, we will never experience the fullness of God's blessings. Imagine if the widow's response to Elisha was, well, that's silly. I mean, there's only enough oil to fill this one. And if I pour it out into that, then it's going to be empty. I'm just going to be pouring oil from one to another. That's ridiculous. But by faith. She said, I know this is a man of God. I've watched God work through him. And in that day and time, Elisha was truly um, the representative of God to that nation. And so she knew she had the mouthpiece of God telling her what to do. And it might not make a lot of sense. But she was willing to be obedient and by faith to do what she was asked to do. God always delivers His servants in ways that exercise their faith. God always delivers His servants in ways that exercise their faith. Our problem is we want God to operate independent of our faith. And God says, no, I want you to do something. I want you to love your enemies. I want you to give sacrificially. I want you to, to do this or to do that. 
I want you to be the selfless one. I want you to trust Me in the times of hardship and darkness. I want you to be the one who walks in joy unspeakable. I want you to be the one who, who does this or who does that. And if, until we are willing to be obedient, I'm telling you this morning, we'll never really experience the flowing of the oil, but the oil still flows. God is looking for Christians who believe Him. God is looking for Christians who will stand on the authority of His Word and of His commands and say, I'm not going to be moved. Not to the left or to the right. I'm not going to make excuses for my disobedience. I'm not going to make excuses for my lack of faith. I'm not going to make excuses for my poor behaviors. I'm not going to make excuses for my poor choices. I am going to stand on truth and say no matter what, my God is able to deliver and I'm going to be faithful even when it doesn't make sense. God always delivers His servants through ways that require them to exercise faith. I've learned in my life at times when I've, uh, where I felt God was trying to move me into another season, where I felt God was trying to mature me as one of His sons, where I felt God was trying to move me into a new realm of faith. The Bible says we go from glory to glory. And in those times, I've been conscious of that and I've prayed, God, help me to get where You want me to be. God, help me to mature into the man of God You want me to be. Lord, help me to get there. And as I pray that, I have I can say 100% of the time, God brings me into circumstances that require that I exercise my faith. Now, what is faith? It is believing God for what we can't see yet. It is trusting that God is right when it looks like He's not. It's trusting that God is in control because He says He is when it looks like He's not in control. It is being willing to say, I'm not going to take matters into my own hands and do what God isn't doing because I've prayed and prayed and prayed and it doesn't look like it's supposed to. It is being willing to stand firm and stand strong for what is right, to remain in your integrity and to trust God when everything around you is saying, that's foolish. Now here's the message this morning. If you want to mature in your faith, if you want to be delivered by God, if you want the oil to flow in your life, understand something. God will bring you into circumstances where your faith will be tested. Adrian Rogers used to say, a faith that has not been tested cannot be trusted. God always delivers His servants in ways that exercise their faith. And she did accordingly to what she was asked to do. She didn't tell the prophet that he was going to make her a fool. But she believed in the divine power and goodness of a divine, powerful, and good God. And we see in verse 6, Now it came to pass when the vessels were full. She said to her sons, Bring me another vessel. And he said to her, There is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Now we see the vessels are full. Who paid the debt? God did. You see, she had a debt she could not pay. God said, I'll pay it. This morning, can I tell you, our sin debt was paid on the cross. We had a debt we could not pay. Jesus said, I'm going to step in and I'm going to pay it and I'm going to pay it in full. Every last dime, every last penny that is owed, every sin that you've done, every evil thought you've ever had, every lie you've ever told, every person you've ever hurt, every wicked thing you've ever done, every last bit paid in full through the power of Jesus' name. 
God paid the debt. This morning, can I tell you, God, if you're saved, He's paid your debt. And this morning, if you haven't been saved, if you have not turned to Jesus, if you have not found forgiveness in Him, understand the debt has been paid. It's already done. All that you've got to do is turn to Him and say, Lord, I place my faith in You and I will follow You and I will look to You alone to pay my debt. The debt was paid. God paid the debt. God multiplied what was given to Him. And I say this morning that you have God in the measure which you desire Him. I know that most of us, myself included, don't like to hear it. But you have as much of God as you want. The problem is most of us just don't really want to work for what God's called us to work to. We don't want to exercise faith. Well, that's silly. You want me to go to all my neighbors and ask for all their empty vessels? What am I going to fill it with? i got nothing. Now, we just want to be negative. We want to explain why we don't walk in the power and grace of God. But the reality is you have as much of God as you want this morning. Unfortunately, God does not have as much of us as He wants. He wants all of us. He wants every bit of us. I'm going to just stay here for a couple of minutes. You know, I I don't want to sound um, negative this morning. I don't want to sound rude. But I have heard the excuses over the years that are never ending. Why people, you know, why God's not doing this in their life, why this, why that. Don't like the way this guy looked at me at church, fighting at this, work doesn't pay enough bills. And we all have excuses for our poor, stinking attitudes. We all create excuses for our lack of commitment to God, the things of God, and the people of God. But at the end of the day, the real problem is one for each of us where we must look in the mirror and realize that my life is not controlled by everything else going around. And until you quit blaming everybody else in your life and your circumstances for your poor stinking attitude and your poor behaviors, you will be trapped forever because whether we like it or not, brothers and sisters, this is a cruel world. People are not always fair. Even people that should be aren't always. People that we think should love us are not always lovely towards us. People that we think should be for us are not always for us. And if, in order for you to have peace, if in order for you to have joy, and if in order for you to feel like you can do what God wants you to do, it requires everybody else in your life to, to act right and to be good, you are going to be hopelessly controlled all of your life by everybody else around you. Sometimes, somewhere, we have to stop blaming others and look in the mirror and say, the real problem is, I don't love God like I say I do. That's the real problem. The real problem is, I don't have a commitment with God like I say I do, and I am using the excuses of everything that makes me angry to give me a right to remain in my unbelief, my lack of faith, and my lack of obedience to God. Stop it. Quit it. Can I tell you the truth? 
every single one of us have had bad things that have happened to us. All of us. And can I tell you the truth? A lot of times it's not fair. It's not always your fault. My heart aches at some of the stuff that I know that happens to people and things that people go through. And I think, I'm telling you, it makes this preacher want to pray what God told us to pray. Lord, your kingdom come. It's terrible some of the things that happen. It wasn't even their fault. This was not a result of their poor decision making here. But somewhere we have to say enough is enough and I am at least going to take responsibility for my actions. It is not their fault that I refuse to be obedient to God. It is not their fault that I refuse to walk in faith. It is not their fault that I refuse to be completely surrendered to God in my life. It is nobody's fault but my own and I choose to because I let circumstances control me. You have to stop it. This morning, if that's you, I plead with you. Quit. Own your own life. Understand that with you and God, it is enough. God can do anything that He wants regardless of all the circumstances and bad things that have happened in your life. You have God in the measure in which you desire Him this morning. Understand that wishing is one thing, but being willing is quite another. Lazily wishing that God would do something great in your life and strenuously working to do the will of God in your life are two totally different things. I had a conversation with a brother this morning before church about this idea. Guys, we are... We're a lazy culture. We are. We have learned how easy it is to push a button in our vehicle and all of a sudden it's cold. We have learned that if we don't feel like making a meal to eat, we can drive three minutes down the road and have a hot one in less than five minutes. We are a society that is, we want what we want and we want it now and we don't want to do any work for it. And you know what, we've, we've kind of, because of this culture and because of the day and the time, it used to be back when our uh, grandfathers were living around and doing what they did, it used to be that they had to work hard and they had to save and they had to toil and they had to labor before achieving the result. But we live in a culture where you just go ahead and get it now and you borrow it and you enjoy it now and then you work it off later if you feel like it. That same attitude has sort of crept into Christianity. You know, we'll, we'll take our arms and fold them and say, well, God, I know you're able, so if you want to, then bless me mightily. And if you do want to bless me mightily because you're able to do all things, then I will serve you mightily. And then we wait around and nothing happens and we think, well, maybe God must not have wanted to. No, that's just not how God works. Wishing that God would do something great in your life and being willing to let God do something great in your life are two different things. And I'm just going to tell you the truth. You have to make it personal. In order for God to do something great in your life, He probably has to do a great breaking in your life. In order for God to 
to, to trust His power with you, He first has to strip you of your power. And this is the work we're typically not willing to do. This is the work that we say, well, God, I'll do that, but first I want you to show me how great it's going to be and bless me first. God, you fill all the vessels and you just snap your finger and make it happen and I promise you, I will believe you forevermore. Here's what we have to learn. It doesn't work that way. We have this, brothers and sisters. I'm telling you, it's never worked that way. Elijah said to the woman with just enough to make one cake, he said, you make me a cake first. She she had to exercise her faith. Elisha told the widow woman, take what little you have and begin to pour it out. Jesus took a few loaves and a few fish and looked up to heaven and said, God, thank you. I'm telling you this morning, that's God's spiritual way of moving us into the realm of being blessed in His fullness. Now here's what I want you to see. Last thing, and I'm done this morning. Her debt was paid, but the Bible says in verse 7, go sell the oil, pay off your debt. Now look at the next statement. And you and your sons live on the rest. Live on the rest. God filled her vessels with more than just the debt. He gave her something to live on. It is a beautiful picture of the real purpose of God giving mankind the Holy Spirit. God, there has to be a debt that has to be paid. We all need to be saved. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And there is nothing more important in your life than knowing that the debt has been paid. There's not a decision you will ever make more significant to your eternal soul than knowing that your debt has been paid. But I'm here to tell you this morning that after the debt has been paid, God has more to give. God has something that we can live on. God wants to fill us not just enough to pay the debt, but He wants to fill us in such a mightily and powerful way that there is life within us yet and that there is more to come that we can live on His mercy and His grace and that not only has the debt been paid, but I have been filled from the bottom of my feet to the top of my head with the life of God and there is more than enough. That's the type of God that we serve. There is enough in God to fill them. There is enough for all. There is enough for each. If she would have borrowed only a few vessels, she would have only had a few filled. Charles Spurgeon said, I believe that you and I, in the matter of spiritual blessings from God, have more to do with the measurement of our mercies than we think. We make our blessings little because we ask and believe for little. When there was no more prepared vessels, the oil stopped. That's when the flow quit. The moment there was no other vessel to be filled. I ask myself this question, spiritually speaking, God, are there vessels here this morning that need to be filled? Are there any of us who are willing to say, Lord, let's empty a little bit more of me out and let You fill it up with You. Have Your way in my life. The amount of a man's work with the miracle determined the amount of blessing and provision actually received. As I've already said, I don't understand it all, but God chooses to work through our faith. 
God chooses to work through a man. God chooses to work through a woman. Those who are willing to work and trust God with their lives. God's powerful provision, it invites our hard work and never excuses our laziness. It never excuses our laziness. You see, it's still God that does all the work. I'm going to ask our worship team to come. It is still God that does the work. It's still the oil that's of any value. It is still the, the filling up of the Holy Spirit that matters. But somehow, some way, God chooses to use our work, our faith, our obedience in tandem with His move in our lives. I asked a question this morning, honestly, has your debt been paid? Can I say frankly and as clearly as I can, your debt will be paid. It will be paid. There is no write-off. There is none. It will be paid. There are two ways. Either one, Christ will pay it through the finished work of the cross or you will pay it forever in an eternal hell where the worm dies not, where the fire is not quenched, where forever you are reminded of every time you turned away the offer to have that debt paid. This morning, has your debt really been paid? Are you truly saved? If you died today on the way home, can you say with certainty that you would go to heaven? Can you say with certainty that yes, I have placed my faith in Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. He is the Lord of my life. I might not be perfect. I know that I'm not sinless. But I love Him and I desire to be His. And I live my life to follow Him. Can you say that honestly this morning? Or do you live your life to follow your own thoughts and your own desires and what you think is best? Because if that's you this morning, you still have a debt that has to be paid. And this preacher begs you and pleads with you, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Turn to Him while there is still time. Turn to Him. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Don't play with your eternal soul. Do not play with heaven and hell. It is not a game. It is not a coin toss. It is the most important decision you'll ever make. If that's you this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to be saved in just one moment. This morning, I think about my message to the church. How empty are you of yourself? Is there anybody in this place honest enough to say, God, it's time for me to get more obedient to You, to walk in faith, and to let You fill me. And to understand, I can't stand outside the door with my arms closed and wait for You to fill the vessels. You have commanded me to walk in such a way. You have commanded me to be faithful in such a way. And it is time that I am faithful with all of Your commands in my life. Because that, brothers and sisters, is the secret to the oil flowing in your life. The oil still flows this morning. God is still good. He is still alive. He is still well. He is still changing lives. He is still saving sinners. He is still filling the vessels this morning with the oil of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that You move all across this room. In Jesus' name, 
God, Your Word has gone forth. I pray that it would produce in us what You wanted to do this morning. Finish what You've started right now. Holy Spirit, move across this morning.